0: This episode of the Rock Solid Podcast is brought to you by U-Turn Audio. Brilliant sound starting at $199. Everyone deserves a remarkable listening experience, and you'll get it with U-Turn Audio. Check them out at u Live
1: from New York, it's Saturday night! NBC Saturday Night. Starring the not-ready-for-prime-time player, the Newman. Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself. So I can't afford to be. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away. A song away.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and my guest today is founding member of the Los Angeles comedy improvisational group The Groundlings, and an original cast member of Saturday Night Live. Please welcome to the stage, Television Academy Hall of Fame inductee, Miss Lorraine Newman. Come on. With a cookie. You brought a cookie. I
2: know. It's, a, it's the perks of
0: the- <laughs> Now, will you be eating said cookie as we speak?
2: He- heck no. I'm a professional. Of
0: course. So, I'm gonna adjust this because you got the high mic stand. We're gonna take it down.
2: I'm gonna turn my phone off because I'm a professional.
0: Okay. <laughs> now, I happen to glance at your phone real quick and you have, a, you have an actress as your screensaver.
2: My daughter. Yes. Yeah. Do you know... <laughs> Hannah Einbinder from Hacks.
0: Yes, yeah. So this was going to be one of my questions, but since I saw that, now I have to go right to it.
2: Well, also, but the other screen, you know, that's the one before you put it Yes. In. The other screen is my other kid. Spike. Spike, who's there you,
0: yeah.
2: okay. also on an HBO show.
0: Oh, no, no I don't know this. What yeah, show are Losa, they on? Los
2: Spookies, Fred Armisen's show.
0: Well, now i got to find that one, too.
2: Yeah. All right. Spike is the water nymph. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so... When you were going into show business, were your parents supportive of your choice?
2: My mother said to her four children, I don't care what you kids do as long as you don't go into show business. (laughs) So my twin brother is a musician. My older sister, well my sister, is a uh, Emmy Award winning comedy writer and musician. Tracy. Yeah, Tracy. My, My older brother was a lighting director. I was just telling somebody the other day, I think it was Billy West was talking about having seen this band that his friend recommended, and they were all drunk on stage and out of tune and bumping into each other. And Billy said, this this band's terrible. It was Aerosmith. But, you know, um, my brother was lighting director at Gazzari's in the 60s. Wow. And he would come home and say stuff like, God, there's this really great band you've got to see. They're called The Doors. You know, that's what it was like to grow up in L.A. That is amazing. So
0: now... When your kids wanna go into show business, you've been there, you know the struggles. Mm-hmm. What do you say to them?
2: Well, first of all, my kid, kids went to school with lots of movie stars' mm-hmm. kids. Sure. Um, but th- I could see from very early on that they had the aptitude for the work and they had a good work ethic. And I just said, read everything you can have a broad compendium Mm -hmm. from which to draw, and um, that's what they did. I mean, they were both really great readers and hard workers, and Hannah actually was, (laughs) she never did any kind of acting in high school. She was an all-star competitive cheerleader, you know, the kind you see on ESPN that they throw her Mm -hmm. in the air, and um, she got too tall to be the flyer, So um, when she went to college, she went there for broadcast journalism because she had a crush on Rachel Maddow. (laughs) And um, she joined the improv team. And then um, Nicole Byer was going to do a stand-up set at the college. And she said, can someone open for me? And the balls on my kid. Very, very much so. Having never done stand-up in her life, she wrote a 10-minute set and killed you know, and then went through all of the steps that you're bo- supposed to do, mm-hmm. you know, open mics. And, you know, what's great is that these kids curate their own shows. You know, it's like yeah. Hannah Einminer Presents, you know, right. and it's all these great comics. So um, that's what she did, and that's also Spike uh, started, you know, doing stand-up at the Improv when they were 15. I have
0: seen Hannah do stand-up, because after Hacks was on, I saw that she was coming to Vitello's. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I are like, well, we gotta go, because we know Wendy Liebman, who yes. you also know. <laughs> so we're like, we have to go, and we're in the front row. I think you were there that night. I it was, was. It was yeah. the most recent one. It was the night when the gentleman in the front row was on his phone. Yes. And just, <laughs> I, don't, I never understand that. Yeah. And even when she called him out, he just kept scrolling and looking. Yeah. And, but she's a, she's a natural performer. And on Hacks, it's just sometimes when there's someone new that you've never seen act before, sometimes you can see them acting.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
0: don't see it. It's so oh, natural. She's you. so good. I appreciate so, And that. now, again, I, I don't want to lean in on Hannah and not talk about Spike, but I will have to seek out their work now and, uh, and check that out too. But I just wanted to give your kids props, and I wanted to thank find you. out how you felt about them going into
1: show business. Yeah,
2: I'm okay with it because they really are good, Mm -hmm. you know, both of them are really talented, so, you know, uh, but we made it clear to them that, you know, there's a lot of luck involved.
0: Sure, sure.
2: So, you know, they understood that.
0: Let me ask you about this, you released May You Live in Interesting Times, that's your memoir. Yes. But you released it only as an audiobook.
2: You know, there's a very interesting story behind that. <laughs> Not. It was, uh, that was like the, um, you know, the, the design of Audible. They mm-hmm. don't do anything in print. Right. And I'd written this book. I'd tried to write this book ten times. And I thought, I'm, ne- I'm just never going to get it done. And then I got an offer from Audible. Okay. So I knew I had to get my ass in gear. And I had all this material that I'd written to avoid writing the book that I was eventually able to put in the book. But um, I was sitting with a friend of mine who had edited an article I wrote for Esquire when I was still on SNL. I was saying, oh my God, I have all this material. I don't know how to put it together. And he said, well, I'll help you. You know, and so I could not, Paul Slansky, I could not have done it without him. He helped me, you know, do chronology and fact check and, you know, telling me, you don't need that. That's boring, you know. (laughs) It was very valuable.
0: And honest. Yeah. <laughs> but my thing is, in order to read the book, to record the audio, there, there is a manuscript. It's written there somewhere. There is a
2: manuscript, yes. But we're
0: never going to see it in written form.
2: Well, I, I had to negotiate that down from I don't remember how many years to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it's already been two, three years, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe in, (laughs) if you can wait, uh, seven years. But, you know, it is a vocal performance. It is. It it is. And, you know, writing for performance is different than writing for reading. So it is written for performance, giving me a chance to do different voices and characters.
0: And really lean into it. Yeah. Lean into the performance. Yeah. And this probably came easy for you because in recent years, you've made your living mostly as a voice actress. Yes, yes. Do we say actress anymore? Are we not supposed to say that? Do I say actor, what do I say?
2: Well, there's no supposed to. I don't care. You don't care? Yeah, I don't care. You don't mind actress? No, I don't mind it. Okay. Even though it has a terrible connotation. Anyway. (laughs) So
0: I say actor.
2: Yeah, I'm fine with that too.
0: All right, I'll say that. Uh, So let me ask you about this. You're a well-known commodity from being in the business for this long. Do you still have to audition for these voice acting jobs or do they just say, get me Lorraine Newman?
2: It's both. Okay. Um, And, you know, auditions are in place for everybody. People much more famous and accomplished than I am. Some of them still have to audition. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so much choice now. So, uh, but yeah, I still audition for voiceover all the time. Okay. Yeah. And other
0: than the hair and makeup, when you get a voice job, is it the same preparation that you do?
2: Well, you don't have to memorize, but um, it's almost like marking up music, you know? Mm-hmm. There is a music to the, to the work, uh, and uh, because it is an instrument that you're working with, a singular instrument that you're working with, uh, you can go through a script and, and just mark, you know, how you're gonna emphasize this, and choose the character, maybe I'll go against type, It's a hippopotamus, she should sound like Marilyn Monroe, and you know, it's stuff like that, so it it is that kind of preparation, Mm -hmm. but nothing really more than that.
0: And who decides that? Like, if they send you a picture of an animated penguin, and they want you to play that part, do you decide what the voice is going to be?
2: Yeah, I I will submit it, and again, in a context like that, it Mm -hmm. will be an audition, and they'll get, you know, hundreds of them, and everybody went... For the type of mm. the the physical type of the hippopotamus, but the people who go against type they stand out more, you know. So yeah. sometimes that wins. Nice. Yeah.
0: And you have hundreds of credits. I mean, Pixar films. I just wrote down a few of the Pixar films, uh, and now I've lost the page. But go Wally. To IMDb.
2: Yeah, IMDb. Just, I can't even remember uh, all I've
0: done. Up, Wally, and Monsters Inc. Just a few. But um, it, it's uh, it's amazing to be involved in, those are like quality productions. I mean, amazing. And when you're in there doing a scene, are the other actors there with you sometimes, or is it just you with someone just reading the part that isn't part of the cast?
2: Well, you know, I'm not in the echelon that does featured voices. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of in a loop group, but they can be anywhere from 12 people to four people. Or just me okay, because they 've got some characters that they haven 't gotten a voice for um, so but if it 's a big group you 're trying out for that voice in the session, yeah, but working for Pixar was great when we did Monsters Inc, they had just gotten the technology to make it look like the sun is filtering through the water, you know, and it was so exciting because it was. I mean, who knew that was something that was difficult to do, you know? But we got to get a real insight into that whole process.
0: And would you prefer to be in the room with the other actors? Is it easier that way?
2: Well, it's more fun, especially if you're in a show like... Uh, well, all the shows I've done, like uh, As Told by Ginger and uh, The Crudes, um, Hysteria... Uh, more recently, um, Dorothy and The Wizard of Oz. We're, we were all in a room together, and it's like a radio play, and right. that is so much fun, and it is a thing of the past <laughs> because of COVID.
0: You would think that, yeah, you would think that, well, it'll come back, but I would think that that would be more, you're getting a better read from all the actors if you're all in there playing off of other.
2: Absolutely, yeah. It is a performance. It's more of a performance. Yeah.
0: All right, now, you're in Pensacon right now, mm-hmm. but... Last month, you were at SF Sketch Fest. Right. And there was a tribute to Lorraine Newman. <laughs> yeah, there was. Tell us about, Let me. who was involved in that? Fred Arminson, Dana Gould, Phil Lamar? What was that like, to, to have people just coming to pay tribute to you and your work?
2: Well, I said to Dana Gould, and he thoroughly understanded, understood me I said uh, this is gonna make me feel good about myself for at least a day <laughs> uh, but it was great you know they had these recorded messages that I didn't even oh, okay. know yeah. you know so it was Paul Rubens who i have been friends with for 50 years and you know uh, my kids did messages spike said uh, hey happy hundredth birthday mom you know' it was just, and Hannah, you know, recorded a message from her dressing room and she was like, you know, you've been such an influence on me. Look at this, you know. <laughs> and, um, oh, God, Wendy McClendon-Covey and Alan Zweibel and uh, I-, I can't remember all the people. Jane, Jane Curtin. So it was, it was really great. And I had, like, my animation reel and my on-camera reel. Nice where you can really just select the highlights. And, you know, it was a revelation for some people because they didn't remember stuff and, you know, so that's always great to hear the audience go, oh, you know.
0: And then maybe go back and find those things that they didn't remember or haven't seen before. Yeah. Are you an emotional person, were there tears, did it bring you to tears?
2: I didn't cry. Um, But I am an emotional person when I'm at home alone watching a Hallmark commercial, (laughs) but, you know, or anything, actually. I cry really easily yep. at home by myself. But uh, no, I did not cry.
0: All right. They were probably trying to make you cry, Luanne. You probably let them down.
2: Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I want to talk
0: about, you just brought up Hannah again and from her dressing room. The woman that plays her mom on Hacks. I think oh, her name is God. Ava Daniels.
2: Yeah. Uh, what is that? A Jane. Um, she, does somebody know Jane. Jane, oh, God, is she funny. I've seen her in so many uh, things. Jane Addams. Jane, Jane Adams. Adams.
0: plays Ava Daniels. Okay.
2: There's, I mean, her style is so unique, mm-hmm. and um, I've seen her. Do you remember that show Claws with Nisi Nash? She had a whole story arc where she kidnapped, I can't remember the, actor, the character's name, but that really tall, handsome guy, and kept him as <laughs> a prisoner. But, I mean, she's so different and so great.
0: Well, my question is, were you considered to play Hannah's mom in no, Hacks?
2: No, I no. I really don't work on camera if I can help it. And why I is mean, that? Because I I just, um, it's harder for me to memorize now. It's like, I guess you didn't expect to hear the word flaccid today, but <laughs> it's like the the muscle for memorizing is flaccid. Okay. And I'm 71, and it's just, I'm not used to it. I uh, I also have a lot of stage fright, you know. And I've heard about that happening to actors before, where as time went on, they developed more and more stage fright. Okay. And uh, that's what's happened to me. Even if I have, I mean, I can't audition at all. Oh. So if I worked on camera, I just did an episode of Ghosts recently, but it was because they just did- they just offered it to me. And again, it's like, I'll look at it and go, oh, okay, I know how to do this, but if I get an offer for something else and I don't think I know how to do it, I say, I'm not right for it. All right.
0: So stage fright as a performer, you're not stage fright to be here as yourself. Yes, I
2: am. I've taken a beta blocker. (laughs) Is that why you
0: went to the bathroom before coming out here?
2: Yes, and I prayed.
0: (laughs) But you're being yourself.
2: I know, that's the scary part. Who's that?
0: That would be tough. Yeah. I'm comfortable in my own skin, so I don't really get nervous. I mean, I was a little nervous because I was going to meet you. Uh-huh. but Because here's the thing. Saturday Night Live came on October 1975. Right. I was 11. Okay. But I still, I remember I was watching it because my parents would go to sleep uh-huh. and I would come down and I'm like, what's this? What's this show? And I knew I wasn't supposed to be watching it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. There, was, there were sketches that I knew... I wasn't supposed to be seeing. Uh-huh. But but still, I I never stopped. And you stopped got watching. it. You got the stuff. I probably not. I probably didn't, but I knew like that seems maybe risqué.
2: Uh-huh. I'm trying to something. think if, if we did anything risqué. Well, I'll
0: tell you one of your uh, r- Oh, Uncle Roy,
2: god. Well, Uncle oh. uh,
0: Okay. Now see, that's the thing about Saturday Night Live. Uh, by the time Buck Henry came on, maybe I was 12. A 12-year-old doesn't know who Buck Henry right. is. Absolutely. And yet after his first appearance on Saturday Night Live, I'm like,
2: another this guy's great. Like, I didn't
0: know he wrote The Graduate at that point. I yeah. just I just thought, here's this funny older gentleman that comes on. Exactly. Yeah. And that was what was great about the show. You would introduce us to people that we didn't know at that at my age. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe Clayberg, I don't know who that is. You know, uh-huh. Candace Bergen, what? But um, that's what I just loved about the show. I saw all these people that I never saw before. And yeah. then they became, you know, embedded... In my head, well
2: also, they don't do this anymore, and I, much to my dismay, but they, we used to break musical acts, people that that no one had seen before Absolutely. yeah you know, uh, I don't know how well known Elvis Costello was when he was on our show or Devo. I don't think anybody knew who Devo was. Scott Heron you know all these great great people that you know some of them I'd never heard of Mm -hmm. some I had and I was like I'm not starstruck with with actors but with musicians musicians Uh,
0: (laughs) and you and you've dated a few I have Um, (laughs) is it okay to say that you lost your virginity to one Yeah,
2: uh, yeah I you know uh,
0: I guess it wasn't okay to say it.
2: The, the thing about doing a book on tape is no one can see me, <laughs> so I can talk about things like that. But like with people seeing me, I don't know that I.
0: So we like, should put like a, a like a blind so you. Yeah. Just go like this. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so we won't. I won't say the name. You can listen to the book and all that kind of stuff. But you you did date uh, you dated Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo mm-hmm. for many years. Yeah. And uh, Devo was one of the acts that broke on Saturday Night Live. Right and you also have a song written for you
2: yeah, by, by Andrew Gold. Yeah.
0: Now, if you don't know him, his, his biggest hits were Thank You For Being A Friend and Lonely Boy. But the song that he wrote, and I have to look at the title because I just, uh, just dropped it, but um,
2: uh, you tell us. What's Never the Let Her Slip Away.
0: Never Let Her Slip Away, and yeah. you did slip away.
2: I did slip away, mm. yeah.
1: months so bad yeah I really only met her about a week ago but it doesn't seem to matter to my heart I know that I love her I'm hoping that I never recover because she's good for me and it's
0: What's it like to have a song written by... I mean, you're like, you're like up there with Sharona and... and uh, <laughs> Who is now
2: a real estate agent, by the way. <laughs> right, yes. I just yes. found that out the other yes, day. Yes,
0: she's a pretty <laughs> successful real estate agent. And yeah. Roseanne Arquette is uh, sure. from the Toto song. Rose. Yeah, so, and
2: Peter Gabriel, Your Eyes. That's right, yeah. yeah.
0: And Lorraine Newman. Well,
2: yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think Never Let Her Slip Away was as huge of a hit Top five in the UK. It was? Yeah. I did not know that. I did a little research. Wow. Well, that's so nice. How about that? Yeah.
0: Was that song written before you got away or? No,
2: we were together when he wrote
0: it. And did he, does does Andrew, and we say here on my show, we say rock and peace. So rock and peace, Andrew, because he's no longer with us. But did he present it to you in, in... you know, recorded form, or did he play it for you on acoustic guitar the first time you heard it? And this is a very personal question. You he don't played have to it
2: for me in the studio, actually. Right. And uh, that, that um, the hand clapping in mm-hmm. it, Don Henley, was doing that. Nice. And then you heard it in uh, one of their songs. I'm trying to think of is which. It is it "Heartache like, Tonight"? Yeah, "Heartache yeah. Tonight." Yeah, yeah.
0: Like that? Yeah. Wow. Very cool. And I think it had, there's some famous people on background vocals on that song too.
2: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, I think Timothy B. Schmidt.
2: Oh, Uh, really? Somewhere I
0: read that Freddie Mercury, uncredited, is doing some background vocals on that song.
2: On Heartache Tonight?
0: No, no, on your song. What? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're learning today, Lorraine.
2: I can't, are you, you heard that, right? There's no documented proof.
0: Yeah, unless you can hear him on the song. Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be amazing.
1: God. And now, a word from our sponsors.
0: Hey, folks. Pat Francis here from the Rock Solid Podcast. I want to talk to you a little bit about U-Turn Audio. Let me tell you something. I own a couple of these Orbit turntables. Brilliant sound, simple design, pure analog experience. They come in a multitude of colors. They look cool. They sound even better. You got to get one of these. And you know what? If you want to make your listening experience even better, I recommend plugging in a pair of their Ethos-powered speakers. Look, the turntable has a built-in preamp. All you do is plug these things in, turn them on, drop the needle, and go. Old-school analog power that fits on your bookshelf. Ultra-low distortion, amplification meets classic speaker design. We are talking about Ethos. High-fidelity stereo speakers that deliver immersive analog sound. The link is in the description, but it's easy. uturnaudio.com.
1: Now, back to the show.
0: Um, well, that's cool, though. That yeah, What, it what was it like when it, a, a big artist would be on Saturday Night Live? Like, the week that the Stones are on. Is it just a buzz? Is it a party all week long?
2: It's, uh. God, how do I describe it? It's less than zero. It's, um... <laughs> we Nobody slept. The Stones had their doctor who who had uh, pharmaceutical cocaine. And I loved cocaine, you know, so it was like really nice. Um, But everybody, I remember being uh, in like this uh, trailer set for a sketch of backstage or something. And I'm in there with uh, Charlie Watts and he asks me a question and I answer it and he goes like this. And then he asked me the same question again. (laughs) And he did it three times. And I thought, he doesn't want to talk to me. Chip, but you i know, i had. um I'd asked Mick and Keith about uh, their first song that I heard, which is It's All Over Now, Mm -hmm. and that guitar break that Keith does. You know, I didn't know who Chuck Berry was. I was a little too young for that. And so I said, this is probably a stupid question. (laughs) And you know, Mick said, don't put yourself down like that. You know, it's fine, anything you want to say. You know, it was like he'd been in therapy, (laughs) you know. and he said, yeah, Chuck Batty. Chuck Batty all the way. <laughs> you
1: know. Well, baby used to stay out all night.
0: Yeah, and, but of course you were not because you were in your 20s, and you're meeting, yeah. you're meeting, you're talking to the Rolling Stones. Are you <coughs> nervous, like, just talking with these people that would come on the show?
2: You know, I don't remember being nervous. The only person I was really nervous to talk to was David Bowie.
1: Pop of the cherry When you're a boy
2: Mm. And here's, let's, let's just spool back to middle school. My best friend is a guy named Tony Sales. He was Soupy Sales' son. And, and uh, he went on to play
0: with David he in became, Tin Machine. In Tin Machine,
2: yeah. he was like in his band. Also, the very, very beginning of the Groundlings, there was a guy in our, in our company named Joey Arias, who is now an extremely famous drag queen. Okay. But he, was, he, he and Klaus know me, were the backup singers on the show. And <clears throat> Joey told me this story because I remember David Bowie hugging me, but I don't remember why. And uh, he, he said, let's play a trick on Lorraine, you know? And that's, that's what it was, was he came up and hugged me. As oh, tr- I know, I know a, what it he was. He hugged you as a trick? Here, here's what it was. I had promised Joey tickets for the show to attend. I didn't know he was in the band. So, and I... <laughs> I forgot that I had promised them, and I, I gave them to someone else, and I felt so terrible. And so, you know, Bowie comes up to me and says, you didn't save, you didn't save tickets for Joey. So I got, I got him in anyway. It's in the bands, <laughs> you know. So.
0: I remember that performance with Klaus Nomi, because he just, just, I never saw him before yeah. either. And you're like, who's that guy? Yeah. What's going on here? But that was Bowie. Yeah. Always wanted you to look and
2: Always ahead of his time.
1: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Um, when Elvis Costello stopped playing Less Than Zero and went into Radio Radio, was Lorne pissed off?
2: Well, if standing off camera but right in front of Elvis Costello and doing this <laughs> is pissed off, I, I have to say yes. All right,
0: all right. And yet, Saturday Night Live is like a rock and roll show. The whole, the whole aspect of, of the show is mm-hmm. rock and roll. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the comedy, of course, rock and roll comedy. And um, So the most rock and roll thing you could do would be to stop your song in the middle and play another song. And so, but instead of embracing it... Lauren had to kind of toe the corporate line a little well, bit too. Well, but the
2: thing about a live show is it's timed well, to the second. True. You're right. So if you take longer, then something has to be cut and you can't cut the commercials. Okay. So, you know, that's, that's why he was so angry.
0: Now it makes sense. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, Lauren. Um,
2: God damn it.
1: <laughs> Once again, here's Elvis Costello. Calling Mr. Ozzel with the pretend to the bacon, and... I'm sorry ladies and gentlemen there's no reason to do this song here Radio radio One, two, three, four. I was in the shine of a light that dial do benefit by radio advice whenever one of those late night stations playing songs bringing tears to my eyes i was seriously thinking about having the receive a winner switch because it's old they're saying things that i can hardly believe they really think we're getting out of control it's a sound salvation radio is cleaning up the nation so you better listen to your voice. i reason. But they don't give you any
0: because they think that it's a reason. What, uh, now, I asked ask, uh, Mike Ensley to ask you some of your top three performers on the show. And you, you did say Devo, and you did say Elvis Costello. And the other one was, for me, a really out-there choice, and it was Rye Cooter. Tell me why you chose Rye Cooter. Because, like, of all the people... I can think of that have performed on there. One of my favorites is uh, when Bette Midler sang the Tom Waits song,
1: Martha.
2: Once again, Bette Midler.
1: She made me feel awful good. Thank you. My My friend Tom Waits wrote this song. Operator number, please. It's been so many years. Will he remember my voice while I fight the tears? Hello, hello, there is this Tommy. This is Betsy Frost. And I am calling long distance. Don't worry about the cost. It's been 20 years or more now. Won't you please recall? And meet me out for coffee. We can talk about it all. Oh, those were days of roses, poetry, and prose.
2: She Do you remember that? No. Oh my God! I don't you think she en- did that when I was on. Oh, it I don't seem think like she, she was, was on, early on in the '70s. Well,
0: you but should go look at it.
2: <laughs> I do remember the 70s okay. oddly enough because I, I this is the curse is that I never drank I never liked alcohol so I never drank so I remember way more than I want to All
0: right. But. Um, so Ry Cooter uh,
2: yeah, David Bowie too but Ry Cooter I love blues mm. I absolutely love it and growing up in LA you could see everybody I saw do you know that movie Cadillac Records did anybody see that with uh, Adrian Brody
0: I have not seen Cadillac records. No. Well,
2: I mean, it's Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Willie Dixon and you know all these. You know, I would see Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. All these blues people, I saw them at the Ash Grove, so uh, I was familiar with Ry Cooter mm. as one of the greatest blues musicians.
1: Up a tree now that kind of man he ain't got as much sense as a music you know everyone don't love you they're just a playing you for a fool Do the best that you can.
2: I named my dog after him. And when I was hiking one day in Tree People Park in L.A., I passed this guy and I thought, God, he looks like Taj Mahal. But, you know, Taj Mahal hiking is such a yuppie activity. It would be like seeing Eminem at a wine tasting in Napa, you know. So, uh, but then I came back the other way and there he was again. And I said, ah... I'm sorry, but you look so much like Taj Mahal. And he said, that's right.
1: Uh, (laughs) And
2: I said, you know, my dog's name is Rai Cooter. he said, I'm gonna tell that boy, you know. (laughs) Uh.
0: Oh, I am digging the voices today, Lorraine. Thank you so much for doing those voices. When you were cast on Saturday Night Live, 22 years old? 23. 23, what was the audition process like?
2: Well, nobody likes to hear this because the, the audition process now is, is like a salmon run. But um, I was in the Groundlings mm-hmm. and Lorne Michaels was producing a Lily Tomlin special. Yes. So he and Lily came to see the show and they hired me for that show.
0: For the I, Lily Tomlin yeah, special. Yeah, and okay. I was
2: 22 then. That's what people mix up. All right. And, then, uh, and I didn't know they were in the audience. And then Lorne came back because he was doing SNL Didn't know he was in the audience, and I had new material and new characters, and he said, meet me at the Chateau Marmont, you know, and (laughs) pitched this show, which is like a cross between Monty Python and 60 Minutes. Well, Monty Python had not been on TV in LA at that time, so I didn't know who that was, but I was like, "Eh, 60 Minutes, Monty Python, weird, I'd watch that, you know, and he said it'll be only for thirteen weeks with a five year option, mm-hmm. and I thought like that'll ever happen and uh, so I didn't really audition, you know I didn't know I was auditioning
0: right but and but they but you were hired because of your talent, of course, you know, he, so even though you don't, you you didn't know you were auditioning
2: right right.
0: you had a great audition
2: I guess I did <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, what was
0: the order of the? Do you remember who was were you the first woman? To be cast? I
2: think Danny was cast and Gilda was cast and we watched Jane's audition. Okay. Um, and Belushi had to audition because of the network being receptive to him. And okay. Gilda was like, shave your beard, you know. <laughs> and he did and, you know, he did the Samurai and I can't remember what else he did. But, yeah, he was cast. And, and Bill Murray auditioned at that time. Mm. But sh- we already had Chevy. And so when Chevy left, that's when Billy came in.
0: Gotcha. Um, For me, like, everyone always talks about Belushi and Chevy, but for me, it was always Dan Aykroyd on the show. Me too. Just, there was just, like, something dangerous about everything he did. Like, I never knew what, who's, this guy's crazy, is what I always thought when I would watch it.
1: New Shimmer is a floor wax. No, New Shimmer is a dessert (laughs) topping. It's a floor wax. It's a dessert topping! It's a floor wax, I'm telling it's you! It's a dessert topping, you cow! Hey, 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 hey! Calm down, you two. New shimmers of floor wax and a dessert topping. Here, I'll spray some on your mop and some on your butterscotch pudding. Mmm, <laughs> tastes terrific. And just look at that shine! But it lasts... Hey! Outlasts every other leading wax 2 to 1. It's durable and it's scuff resistant. And it's delicious. <laughs> sure is. Perks up anything from an ice cream sundae to a pumpkin pie. Made from an exclusive non-yellowing formula. <laughs> I haven't even touched my pudding and I'm ready for more.
2: Such an original mind. Yeah. You know, uh, for me too. And he was really the only cast member that wrote. Uh, Gilda collaborated with Alan Swybell, mm-hmm. But Danny really wrote stuff. And... You know, Ghostbusters is a perfect example of his, you know, his thinking. Mind, in right. fact, I I was at dinner with him a couple years ago and we were in upstate New York and a town next to us called Lilyvale or something like that. It is a town of psychics. And his grandfather was one of like the founding members of the community and he said that was partly what gave him the idea for Ghostbusters. You know, I mean, it's just a really interesting family, and just Danny's whole perspective. I mean, Coneheads—it's just all yeah. him. How
0: did they get the censo rings past the censors? I don't know. I mean, that—I mean, th- that seems <laughs> like a, an absolute no to I me. I know if it you're a really sensor. does.
2: There's no two ways about it. No, there's not. I have no um, idea.
0: When they made the Conehead movie. You were not cast as Connie Conehead. Well, I was too old. But were yeah. you? Because they were aliens, so I think I think you could have still been Connie.
2: I thought that girl was really cute. She was. Yeah, she was. She was. Yeah. She, was
0: she was okay.
2: Yeah, I she, had a cameo in that.
0: You did, as mm-hmm. as the aunt.
2: The aunt. But yes. Were you disappointed that you weren't cast as Connie, or were you just like, well? I didn't I, imagine that I would be cast as Connie, but right. I would have liked a bigger part. I'll yeah. admit that. You know. Well, in
0: 2015, you guys did some State Farm I know. advertisements as the Coneheads. I know
2: that was fun. How did that? How,
0: who, how did someone in State Farm decide that let's get these characters from 30 years ago and put them in a State Farm who commercial? Who knows? I know. It seems like an odd. Cho- I'm glad it happened, but yeah. it seems like an odd choice.
2: Yeah, well, you know, the creatives in advertising are really something. Yeah. You know, when you think of like the Super Bowl ads, there are there is someone at that advertising agency that comes up with this stuff. You know, the the Geico cavemen and stuff like that. Yeah. And What's that? You know. <laughs> uh, there's uh, it's it's a real art writing for advertising. When Ackroyd would play Irwin Mainway
0: and you would be Christy Christina. Christine Christy Christina with the big fake boobs. Right. And then the fake nipples.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you like that?
0: Yeah. And you're like, how do you describe that character? A ditzy sexpot.
2: A bimbo. A bimbo. Okay. You know, um, kind of. Uh, it, it was kind of <laughs> the Ed McMahon to his Johnny Carson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I honestly I hate to say it, but I never liked that character. Okay, I, can I understand don't know why, why people not, thought yeah. it was funny. I never got it, you know. But I mean, I, just... I
0: did for different reasons as a thirteen year old. Sure. But
2: sure, yeah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get prequalified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be convenient, comfortable. Ah.
0: But um, uh, what were some of your character, favorite characters that you played?
2: I love doing Lena Wertmuller. Yes. I love doing the Valley Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love doing all sorts of different characters, you know, um, Indira Gandhi and. You know, Anna Freud, uh, Catherine Hepburn. I just, I can't remember, It's it's been a long time. One of my favorite sketches is the Beatnik sketch and everybody's in it. And it was, I think, the second time Steve Martin host. Okay. And I was Isadora Schwartz, <laughs> a modern dancer, you know. And I come out and I can't do this anymore because of my aged shoulders, but literally this with my hands over here, and uh I'm a poet is like I am a leaf tossed on the wind, you know I love that um I love that sketch in general. You should look it up. It is so good it's long, but it's it's good.
0: Steve Martin hosted so many times that people I think at times thought he was a cast member. Mm-hmm. was he with the first time he came in, did he immediately gel with the whole the, the vibe of the show, how it worked, the cast members
2: he did, which was great, because before he came on, uh, the guys were kind of grumbling, you know, like, he's a stand-up, he won't be good, he works alone, you know, and of course he uh, disproved that.
0: Yes, in, yes, many times over. Um, if I were to, to just say each original Not Ready for Primetime player's name, could you give me one word about each one of them? Or would you even want to? <laughs>
2: I don't know if I would want to. I don't. I think they warrant a lot more words than one. All right, that's good. That's a good answer. We'll pass.
0: Um, do you still watch the show? Because I still do.
2: I do. I, I love sketch comedy. Uh,
0: I, I love it too, and I get I get so angry. Like it's a transitional year this year. Yes. And it's it, but it's still making me laugh, and I get yeah. so mad when people are like, Ugh, "That new cast." I'm like, "Come on."
2: Yeah. The, Everyone finds was always their a way. new cast. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I say this. <laughs> Because, you know, people say, you were in the best cast. And I say, you know, the best cast was the cast that was on when you were an adolescent. Right. Because that's a meaningful time in your life. And there have always been good people. Yeah. Always. So, you know, um, the talent just keeps evolving. And the, the style of performance and, and the, you know, idiosyncratic writing, it, it just keeps evolving. And mm-hmm. I love it.
0: Do you think Lauren is ever going to leave that show?
2: He left for a time. I don't think he would leave. And I think that he really wants to make that 50-year mark. Yeah. You know, I think the last two years, the writing has not been great. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, they'll have a really solid show. Yeah. But the writing has... I don't know. Um, but I think it'll... It'll pick up, you know. Sarah Sherman is a friend of both my kids. Oh, she's crazy, and I used to see and crazy her. in a good way. Is what she's I mean. great. Yeah. She's great, but I used to see her early on doing stand-up, and uh, it's so gratifying because they draw a lot from the Groundlings. Mm-hmm. And again, I've seen those kids, you know, develop at the Groundlings and then go on to do that show, and it's just, it's so gratifying.
0: For someone who doesn't know, the Groundlings versus. Second City, what are the differences or the similarities? I
2: think that Second City is more premise-based and, and um, the Groundlings is more character-driven. You can always tell a Groundling if, if you know, if you're calibrated to see their style, you know.
1: Mm.
0: Do you ever take, you probably don't do this, but do you, ever, do you ever step back and just think of all the famous people who have come out of that show that you started? Well, I mean, well, I mean, you know, I what was I mean. there, you were there, but <laughs> you influenced all these people. Like, we I just made like a quick list of people that we might not know about. We might not know about Will Farrell or Eddie Murphy or Quis- Kristen Wiig or Mike Myers, Sherry O'Terry, Bill Hader because they wouldn't have had an outlet maybe mm-hmm. to get out there and become what they've become. They would just be, you know, trying to do it. But with this show, propelled these people who were talented to get on the show, first of all, to these great heights. Molly Shannon, Tina Fey, Jason Sudeikis. I mean...
2: I think uh, you have Lorne to thank for mm -hmm. that. Because, again, he was always um, a champion of maybe not, you know, like he was always a champion of women's humor Mm -hmm. at a time when that was not common. Right. And I think he always appreciated... This is what I've observed about SNL. You know, you had Carol Burnett and Laughing, both really good shows, but they were written by older people. So I would say that our show was the first alternative comedy show that was ever on. And I think that's significant. And I think that every actor that has been on that show has been in the style of alternative comedy. Yeah. You know?
0: But alternative comedy without Saturday Night Live would not have... That much of an outlet, you know what I mean, uh, to the public, to the world.
2: Impossible to say.
0: <laughs> Speaking of Tina Fey, if if Lorne reaches the fifty year mark, and then, I mean, when he reaches the fifty year mark, and then if he decides that's it for me, I always thought Tina Fey would be a great successor for that she job. She
2: would, yeah. So, I mean, Steve Higgins is also. Uh, yeah, he's, he's been uh, around for a
0: long time too
2: yeah and uh, Jim Downey keeps coming back. Yeah. He was our uh, head writer for a while, and then he comes back and forth and becomes head writer again. He's so fantastic
0: and that's it's when you're older, it's hard to stay in tune with what is funny in the present,
2: unless you keep watching new stuff
0: right and or, and, and reading yeah. and, and learning because yeah. you you have to keep evolving. Yes, as the comedy writer, maybe more so than the performer.
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
0: Let me ask about the Blues Brothers. Okay. When Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi present the Blues Brothers in, I don't know, in the, what it is it? It was
2: like in warm-up.
0: Okay, were they, were they dead on serious about the Blues Brothers or were they playing it the first time as parody? Like they, I feel like they were serious about it. Like, hey, this is they were definitely
2: serious about it. And you know, like rock stars want to be comedians, and comedians want to be rock stars. I think, especially for John, Mm -hmm. this was like a fantasy. And uh, Danny liked the blues too, but I think he approached it more as a performance. Yeah, you know.
1: Again. Ball ball Here on the hitty on the I hit on the on the I hit on the Have you ever heard of a wish sandwich? A wish sandwich is the kind of a sandwich where you have two slices of bread and you <laughs> <laughs> Wish you had some meat, ball, ball, ball. Uh,
2: But then they got to have this band that was like, you know, Steve Cropper and... Duck Dunn. Duck Dunn. I mean, the guys that were on all the stacks. Yep. You know, Isaac Hayes, Sam and Dave, you know, all, I mean...
0: Lou Marini, all the horn players. Yes. Just uh, crazy. It was
2: just so amazing.
0: But yeah, I, I always thought, I you go know, these, and I didn't know blues music as a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm introduced to blues music from these two guys, oh from the God. Blues Brothers. Oh yeah. Oh, God. I know, not the way to be introduced no, to it. No, it's, it's, it's still, their, it's
2: their selection of songs was yeah, good. Yeah,
0: it was good. Okay, Lorraine, we are finished.
2: We are finished, was,
0: okay. this, was this painless?
2: It was painless. It okay, was fun. Good. You're yeah. going to go
0: enjoy that cookie?
2: I For sure I am. All right. Darn
0: tootin'. Let me tell thank you.
2: Thank you all for coming. Yes,
0: thank you folks for being here. <laughs> you, you can find Lorraine on Twitter at Lorraine Newman and Instagram at Lorraine Newman. Yes. Okay, take care guys. Thank you, Lorraine.
2: Thank you.